Thanks for listening to the Grace Life Podcast, where we want to know God, love people, and reach our world. One of the areas we have the most questions about is the topic of identity. In many ways, it's the central struggle of every human life. At some point, we all ask the question, who am I created to be? We're in a series based on a book by pastor and author Jeff Little that explores this very question. Join us for this six-week series entitled, Who Am I? And be sure to subscribe to our YouTube channel. There you can find all our video messages as well as exclusive content that you can't find anywhere else. Now, let's get into this week's message. It's going to be great. So, as I just said, this is part five today. Uh, Last week we answered the question with part four, Who am I when I failed? That was a fun subject, wasn't it? We didn't laugh as much as we normally do. So Sunday, right after the message, my friend Mike Salazar here, he came up and he said, oh, because that's how he starts a lot of his sentences. Oh, preaching on failure. I bet you had one heck of a week. And I thought about it for a minute. I said, you know, actually, I had a pretty good week. I don't know. Maybe the enemy didn't want me to have really good stories for the message. So he pretty much left me alone. I was like, you know, because if you've never preached, I'm going to tell you how this works. Uh, Your week before you're speaking on something, either God will test you or the enemy will harass you or there's one and the same. And God is using what the enemy is doing to get. And y'all follow what I'm saying. And, And I had a fairly uneventful week. And. Then came Sunday night. And so my wife and I, we were supposed to go out on a little date. We had not had much time together. I'd traveled that week and then I came home and we were both sick. And so the weekend had kind of gone away. We were going to go on a little date and have some time alone. But then circumstances changed and things didn't work out. We ended up not going on our date. And I had a child who had a project due for Monday morning that we had known about for a week and a half. And I'd really hoped that that project was going to be done in the week that I was traveling. But it turns out, while I'm not on a date with my wife, we have to figure out how to make a stuffed sea otter (laughs) by Monday morning. I was a teacher, so no offense to the teachers in the room, but I'm not really sure what my daughter learned out of us making a stuffed (laughs) sea otter instead of going on a date. And so in order to take out my frustrations that I'm experiencing at this moment last Sunday night, I I, I go to my happy place and being a pianist, my happy place, I go to uh, the piano room and I play the piano. But as I went into the piano room, I noticed that my wife's dog... has pooped under my piano. I have a very simple rule in my house. A dog may live in my house, but I will not live in his bathroom. So something's gotta change. So you can just uh, go ahead and figure out at that moment, I was not a very happy camper. And then I have to walk in on Sunday, Monday morning to write the message for this week, open up the notes. And it turns out part five is who and I, when I'm not happy. Thank you, Mike Salazar. And now I have to get up and preach the message on who am I when I'm not happy after Duke lost to Carolina last night. And by that being the light blue version of Carolina, for those of you that don't know that there's another team out there that goes by that word. So I'm going to give it everything I've got from Jesus and you're all going to have to just kind of help out. It turns out a recent Harris poll says that only 33% of us would identify as happy. 
There's a lot of people in this room. And what that means is that two out of every three of us would actually say, I am not happy right now. But we all want to be happy. None of us would go, I don't want to be happy. Matter of fact, we actually think happiness is one of our inalienable rights, don't we? I mean, it's why we exist. We deserve life. We're all happy we got up to breathe. We, we want liberty. We're glad we're not in head and cuffs or in prisons. And we think that we're supposed to be happy. That's the way it's supposed to be. Life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Come on, you guys with me? Yeah. I've heard some of the craziest things about happiness, especially in church. People say things like, be spiritual, not happy. I mean, seriously, you ever heard people say things like that? I think some of us think that, that happiness is an American idea, not a Christian idea. We're just supposed to walk around with long faces and, and just be glad we're going to heaven someday. You know? And that's kind of the, the attitude that we have. But some of us, I think, would even ask, does God want us to be happy? I went through the notes with some staff members. I do this every Thursday. I, I preach through the notes to make sure it's actually going to make sense. And I had a staff member stop me at about this point and go, but does God even want us to be happy? We're, we're, supposed to, we're supposed to have the joy of the Lord. The joy of the Lord. Doesn't matter if we're happy. We just have the joy of the Lord. Come on, y'all, y'all ever heard that stuff? You know what I'm talking about? And we think, what, if God wanted us to be happy, why would he have written a book with so many rules that seem to take away our happiness, right? At least that's what we thought before we were believers. Then we start to read the book. And it's not actually the way that you think it is or whatever other crazy ideas come to our mind. How about God's in charge of this world that seems to make me so unhappy some of the time. I don't know if God really wants me to be happy. Jesus preached his most famous sermon. It's called Sermon on the Mount. He started it with some statements. We call them the Beatitudes. Maybe you've heard some of these. He says, blessed are those who, blessed are those who, and he went through these statements, blessed are those who, now here's the thing, your version of the Bible may have translated this differently because the Greek word blessed actually means happy. If you're wondering this morning, is it a Christian thing to be happy? Does God want us to be happy? What Jesus was actually saying at the time is, happy are those who, and he kept going on through this list, happy, happy, happy is what we are supposed to be able to have in Jesus. So let me ask you the question, if you're one of the two out of every three Americans who's unhappy here this morning, what would make you happy? I mean, what would do it? Would a new job make you happy tomorrow? If the job you normally go to on Monday morning, I see some heads nodding already like, oh yes, Jesus, that'd be amazing not to have to go to that place. How about, how about getting married? Somebody be happy if you got married? How about a better marriage? Somebody's clapping. How about a better spouse? <laughs> if you clap for that, I'm not responsible. That was a joke. How about money? Come on, we've all heard money doesn't buy happiness, but I would not mind trying. Anybody with me, you wouldn't mind trying. Like, it'll buy some darn good vacations and some good steaks and filet mignon. I tell you what, I would not mind trying. How about students? Come on, youth, we got some youth in the room. How about a new teacher? You've all got, there you go, somebody's already with it. Last, last service, my son was on the front row going, me. We, we've got that teacher. We would just love if they won the lottery over the weekend and they just took a new job or no job at all on Monday. We'd be like, yes, whatever it is. We all think there's, there's something that's actually going to make us happy. How about getting accepted to that college? Yeah. We're right here near a military base. How many of you, the next rank, man, if you just got that promotion, that next rank, that would do it. How about having kids? As somebody who has four of them, <laughs> let me just tell you, that is not all the happiness <laughs> it is cracked up to be. You get to make sea otters instead of going on dates 
with your wife. So today we're going to answer the question, who am I when I don't feel happy? Because we do, I think, as Christians honestly believe that happiness is, is a worldly thing that we're just supposed to always, you know, just, just deal with it. Just suck it up and suffer for Jesus and, and whatever. What I want to show you today, though, is that the, the Bible actually talks about happiness and God has a, a recipe for us that we can experience happiness here on earth. Uh, if you've got your Bibles, you can try to keep up today. We're going to be in Ecclesiastes. I'm going to go ahead and tell you it's going to be better. And easier for you if you just follow along on the screen and take notes and you go home and look at them later because we're going to jump around three different chapters today. Before we get going, let me just explain this book that we're about to read because Ecclesiastes is in the Old Testament and a lot of us have probably never seen that or read it. It's a, it's a smallish sort of book and it's easy to overlook. It's a big word and we're like, what, what is that? And so here's who wrote the book, a guy named Solomon and he was king of Israel at the time. And the book reads a little funny. It's a wisdom book, but the book reads like it's his memoirs of a sort. It's like the diary of a billionaire to one degree. It's like if a really rich guy wanted to tell his grandchildren how to live life and how to get the most out of life, this is how it would read. It almost reads like a letter to someone else. So he's the king of God's people, the nation of Israel at the time. He's the son of David, right? And so he is like the man, the Bible tells us he was the wisest man to ever live at this point. He is the richest of the, the Israelite kings. He's just got everything. He's got a wonderful life and everything is going the way that it should go for him. And then he writes this journal on how to not end up unhappy. Wait a minute. The guy who has it all is the one who spends the end of his life writing a how not to be unhappy. Yeah, so that's where we're going to pick it up. At the very beginning, chapter 1, verse 2, he says, meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher. And he's calling himself the preacher or the teacher, depending on which version you're reading. He says, look, I'm going to teach you what I've learned from my life. So I'm going to take the seat of teacher. Please, if you're reading this, take the seat of student. And, and let me tell you what I have figured out. Utterly meaningless. Everything is meaningless. Now, look, I don't know about you, but I want to argue back with that. Because I say, wait a minute, I have children. They're a gift from God. They're not meaningless. I have life. I have a job. Look, this is my day job. I get to do this. It changes people's lives. You can't tell me that it's meaningless. I, I have money and I can give that money somewhere that's going to make a difference. You can't tell me that's meaningless. I have a spouse that's a gift from God and you can't tell me she's meaningless. What do you mean it's meaningless? Some of your Bibles will use the word vanity. Both of these words actually represent a completely different idea if we go back to the Hebrew. It doesn't mean that it's meaningless in the sense of what we would use, but the actual Hebrew word means vapor. It's just a vapor. You might have wondered, why in the world do I have a candle on stage today? This is my little sermon writing candle because, see, it's called Reflection and Clarity. And so I light it on Mondays because I need a little reflection and clarity in my life as I try to hear the Holy Spirit. But when he says that this is meaningless in the original language, here's what he means. Try to catch a vapor. See if you can ever actually catch that. No matter how hard you try, you'll never catch one. 
and the pursuit of vapors is meaningless. And yet, that's what we do. We spend our whole life trying to catch these things. And he says, look, this, this catching a vapor, even if you manage to get one in your hand, then it's gone. It's a fleeting feeling. Everything is a fleeting feeling, even if you catch it at all, because we're just trying to, to catch vapors. We base our whole happiness on it. And so in verse 14, he says, look, I've seen all the things that are done under the sun, everything done under the sun, and all of them are meaningless. All of them are chasing these vapors, trying to catch a vapor. It's just chasing after. After the wind. And so he goes on a little experiment. He says, man, I'm, I'm king and I'm feeling kind of unhappy. So I am going to do an experiment to figure out if I can catch a vapor and actually hold on to it, right? And so now he begins chapter two telling us about his experiment. He says this, I said to myself, come now, I will test you with pleasure to find out what is good. But that also proved to just be a vapor. I never, ever caught it. And he goes on to explain, look, I denied myself nothing my eyes desired. I refused my heart no pleasure at all. My heart took delight in all my labor. And this was the reward for all my toil. Yet, when I surveyed all that my hands had done and what I had toiled to achieve, everything was still just a vapor that went away. It was meaningless. It was a chasing after the wind. Nothing, nothing had been gained under the sun. And if we're going to really understand the story today, we have to get his place. We, we need to get into his shoes for a minute and understand this was no exaggeration. None at all. He was the richest king. He was the wisest man. The Bible tells us he had everything. He had done everything. If you want to talk about food, he had the food. He had the best banquets, the nicest stuff in the world. He would bring me a filet mignon. No, nope, I wanted an inch thicker. Take that back. Bring me another. He was king. He got everything he wanted as much as he wanted. You want to talk about drink? He had the best of all the wines, of all of the fruits of anything. It was brought to him. He had it all. Whatever it was, it was there. You want to talk about wisdom. Nobody on the earth could say the things that he said. That's why he also wrote most of the book of Proverbs that we see in our Bible because he had all of the wisdom. He had it all. You want to talk about knowledge. He had all the knowledge. People would come and travel from afar just to hear him talk. You want to talk about romance. He had 300 wives. Y'all just let that settle in for a minute. He had 700 concubines in case none of the 300 wives were in the right mood at the moment. I mean, seriously, dude, we could say if there was trouble, he had that, right? I mean, whatever it was, romance, in buildings. He said, I set my heart to just build stuff. I like to build stuff. I just, I'm going to build this and think I'm impressed with it. I'm going to build this. He got to build the temple. The temple, one of the most majestic things ever to be built on the earth. If you, you go back and read the story of when it was dedicated, it was like one of the greatest events in human history that is all of God's people. This has never happened since. All of God's people gathered in one place on planet earth to dedicate one building for his glory. The first time there had ever been a building built and dedicated for his glory in all of human history. It says that God showed up with such power, the priests couldn't even do their job. He got to build that. He got to say the closing prayer. He was the man. You want to talk about accomplishments? He had it. You want to talk about fame? Queens and kings from around the world would come to see what he had to hear him talk. You want to talk about glory? He had it. 
He literally had everything. And yet, he said, I never caught the vapor of happiness. I'm unhappy. When he's saying, I had it, I couldn't catch it. If anybody had it, I had it. If anybody could have caught it, it was me. And he ends this story saying, don't do life like I did. Because if there's anybody who ever got a vapor in his hand, it was me, and it was still nothing but a vapor. So what's his answer? Chapter 3. Look, I have seen the burden God has laid on the human race. He's made everything beautiful in its time. He has also set eternity in the human heart, yet no one can fathom what God has done from the beginning to the end. I know there is nothing better for people than to be miserable and go to church. No, look at what he actually says. There is nothing better than to be happy and to do good while they live, that each of them may eat and drink and find satisfaction in all their toil. And we could stop right there and go, man, he's a depressed guy. But he actually says just that one little bit, that this is God's gift. It is God's gift to us. He's not being sarcastic. He's saying, no, look. Figure this out. The best thing we can do is be happy in the midst of the life God has given us because it's God's gift to us. Just to make sure we're all talking about the same thing. We're talking about happiness. We're talking about unhappiness. What what is happiness? It's a feeling of pleasure, of being satisfied. That's simply what it means. It means we, we just like, yeah, this is the way it should be. When your team wins a game, you go, yeah, I'm happy. This is the way it should be. When your steak is cooked perfectly at a restaurant, yeah, I feel happy. This is the way it should be cooked. When, when you and your spouse are getting along, yeah, this is what marriage should be like. And you're smiling. It's that feeling of pleasure and satisfaction. And he literally right here in scripture says, it is God's gift to be happy and to do good while we do life so that we would find satisfaction, find happiness. Here is his answer to us. I am the man that caught every vapor and it was still nothing but a vapor when I opened my hand. And I'm here to tell you though, there is true happiness. But true happiness is more than a fleeting feeling. True happiness is more than the mood you're in when you wake up on a Monday morning. Are y'all seeing where he's going with this? And so he's going to tell us what to do to find this, this true happiness, how to find something that's more than a fleeting feeling. And I'm going to show you two different things that we need to grab onto if we want to actually live as happy people. The first one is that we've got to admit the power that unhappiness has over us. Did y'all get that? We need to be honest with ourselves. We need to admit the power unhappiness has over us. Because you see, when we're unhappy, it affects everything. When we don't feel good about what we're going through, it affects our day. And then your day affects your week, right? I mean, if you had three bad days, somebody says, how was your week? And you say, oh man, my whole week was bad. Your days affects your week. Your week affects your year. Your year affects your personality. Your personality affects the people around you. That affects your entire life. It becomes everything. Next thing you know, you are a permanent version of Eeyore. You are always miserable. You see, we let our feelings of discontentment rule us rather than letting them be an expression of what's going on in the moment. And if we let our emotions rule our life, two things happen. Number one, half of the time they tell us we're better than we really are. And the other half of the time they tell us we're worse than we really are. 
because emotions just lie to us. So what do we do? Let's go right back to what we just read. He just answered it. He said, I know there's nothing better for people than to be happy and to do good while they live. That each of them may eat and drink and find satisfaction in all their toil. This is the gift of God. It is God's gift for us to enjoy life. It is God's gift for us to do good and to like what we're doing. If you can't stand your job on Monday morning, then you have yet to put together how God created you, what he made you to do, and what you actually do for money. Somehow when those come together, we can begin to change how we enjoy the toil of our life. See, but did you catch the word find? It's the gift of God to find satisfaction. Some of us think we're just like going to fall out of bed and land on like a happy carpet pad or something, you know, just, oh, the carpet is so fluffy and I'm so happy now. I'm, I'm ready for my miserable job. I'm just going to be, it doesn't work that way. So how do we find satisfaction? How do we begin to change the way that everything seems to us? I'm just going to tell you, there's only one thing called gratitude y'all thought what that sounds like a bait and switch pastor no it's called reality you see the enemy's goal for you is to look at whatever you have whatever your circumstances are whatever life looks and feels like and for you to say this isn't good because if you will say this isn't good then you will blame the God who gave it to you and say that God isn't good. And then the one who's actually doing the happy dance is the devil, right? That's the way that works because we then suddenly are always unhappy because we're always feeling discontent and dissatisfied. And somehow we have got to override that. I would love to just talk to you for the next hour about how to bring gratitude in our lives. I can't do that. A couple years ago, we did a series on gratitude. If this is something you want more on, go back and find it. It's on our website because there's a lot to be said about gratitude. But here's what we do need to do. We need to learn to look and say, this is good. We need to look at our lives. We need to look at the people around us and say, God, you are good. We need to wake up on Monday morning instead of saying, I can't stand this job. I hate this job. Say, God, I thank you I have a job. And if you keep saying, God, I think you have a job. God, I think you I have a job. God's going to look at you and go, really? Because that job sucks. I can't believe that. Man, if you praise me with a job that bad, I'm going to give you a better job because you're going to be like praising me all up in here all the time. And, and over here's the person. Would you just stop whining? All I hear from you is you hate your job. I, I'm going to go listen to the guy praising me over here. He's got a bad job. But he's, I mean, think about it. If we just start, God, thank you, I've got a job. Getting in our car to go to our job we don't like. Man, I hate my old car. Instead of, God, thank you, I'm not walking in the rain to work today. And if you don't have a car, you say, thank you, God, I can walk in the rain. I mean, if we would just stop and figure out our life is good. Our life is good. We talked about this just a few weeks ago in another series. We are the top 1% in the world. We have it the best. We have it better than anybody else has ever had it in history. We live like kings used to live. I mean, are you guys with me? And you know why we can't find gratitude? Because it's not good enough to live like the top 1% in the world. We want to be the top 1% in New York, Manhattan. You know, somebody came up to me after the first service and they said they had, they had actually watched the documentary on gratitude and happiness in America. And it said America's repeatedly getting unhappier 
and unhappier and unhappier. And so they, he said that the person who did this study quoted this phrase said, we used to try to keep up with the Joneses. Now we try to keep up with the Kardashians. <laughs> See, the standard has just changed. Used to, we just wanted to be a step above our next door neighbor. Now we want to like fly on a private jet all around the world. And now even when we want to be better than our neighbor, we believe a lie about our neighbor because what we think about our neighbor is what we see on their Instagram. Look at our neighbor, man. He's in Tahiti. Oh man, he's got an amazing life. He's gone to Tahiti once in 30 years. Take a break, man. (laughs) That's why he put 42 pictures of it on Instagram. Because he knows that's all he's got. He's going to a job he hates Monday too. But the devil says, ooh, look at that. Ooh, be like them. Seriously, we live like kings. And we have it. If we could just stop and go, God, you've been good to me. You see, gratitude, because happiness is just feeling satisfied. Just feeling satisfied. Instead of complaining about where you are, but going, you know what, where I am is good. Today, I'm eating a hot dog, but it's a good hot dog. Tomorrow, I'll eat a steak. Instead of going, man, I hate hot dogs. My life is miserable. I hate this. It it simply is just changing. If we're going to find satisfaction, you will only find it buried underneath gratitude. You will never find happiness and pleasure in life buried underneath looking at all that is wrong with everything around you. Which leads us to this. We have to redefine happiness. What we used to say, this is what will make me happy. This is what will work. So let's go back to the passage he just said. He gave us again. He gave us the answer on how to redefine happiness. He said, look, God has made everything beautiful in its time. Now just stop and think about that. This is a really famous passage, if you've never read it, that came right before this, where he's saying, for everything there is a season, the Beatles made a great song. Come on, you guys know what I'm talking about. And he's saying, there's a time to be born and a time to die. There's a time to plant and there's a time to to harvest and there's a time for everything. But you know, here's our problem. We've become impatient. We've become never satisfied with anything. We're we're, we're just spoiled little children. Because you know what I like? There's a time to be born. Oh yeah, that's me. Look at this little baby. This baby's so cute. But then we blame God when there's a time to die. And we're upset and we're angry. But listen, a newborn baby is beautiful. It's a beautiful thing. But it's also beautiful to see a grandfather go and be with Jesus. It feels differently right here. Everything is beautiful in its time. It is beautiful to be able to put all the seed in the ground and to step back and to think what will be coming in a couple of months actually grew up on a little bit of a farm and my dad, we used to do that. We'd, we'd plant a bunch of vegetables and different things. And, and it was that hard work. I mean, even as a kid, I wouldn't say it was one of my favorite days, but there was a beauty to the end of a hot, sweaty Saturday, looking at all those neat little rows in the, the ground and just going, that's going to be some of the best corn on the cob in a couple of months. And if y'all have never eaten corn off the cob, corn on the cob right after you just took it off the stalk, y'all have missed out. Like when you buy it public, it don't taste the same. I'm just going to tell you. Everything is beautiful in its season. But what's more important is the rest of that phrase right there. It says, he has also set eternity in the human heart. You see, the primary reason that we are struggling to be happy 
is because we're looking at a moment. And our existence is greater than a moment. You see, no one ever had to preach it to you. No one ever had to tell you. I do get the privilege right now of explaining it, but no one ever had to tell you there's a yearning for something more meaningful in you. And if all you live for is to feel good right now, you're just marking time. And then you hope to get up tomorrow and feel good right then, you're just marking time. Marking time, letting time go by, marking time until the day you die, and then you hope you felt good enough times that you'd call it a win. How many of you know the phrase marking time? We use it. You know where it actually comes from? It's a marching term. It's a military marching term. It's, it's what you would do to get the troops or the band to stop moving forward. And, and so I was a band director, high school band director, and I was in band most of my life. And I remember back when I was a student, we would teach people how to march by putting them all in these little rows, like a little grid, and you put them out on a football field in the middle of summer for band camp. Except our football field was the parking lot. So it was asphalt with lines. You know what that means? It was hot. And so we're out there and we're in our little lines and the drum major goes, mark time, mark. And you just start marking time. You know what you do when you mark time? Nothing. <laughs> you don't go nowhere. You don't make pretty pictures on the field. You don't play nothing. You're just kind of standing here doing this. You watch the clarinet player beside you. She falls down because it's 104 degrees. The asphalt's 120, heat's radiating. The bottom of your shoes are melting. And, like, I'm done with this, dude. Like, if you want to go forward, March, I'll do forward. If you want to go make a picture, I'll make a picture. But I am not going to stand here in 120 degrees and just mark time because this is accomplishing nothing because I am made for more than this. You are made for more than feeling good on Monday morning. There's something inside of you that says, put what I'm doing in context of eternity and then it makes sense to me. And no one's ever had to tell you that. It was just this yearning inside of you. And so when you try to feel happy with money, you know, right? Money can't buy happiness. You know why? Because when you just, you just get a bunch of it and you go, okay. And you spend some and you go, well, there's still a bunch. And you spend some and you go, well, what do I do at this point? I mean, I already bought the house and the car and the beach house and everything else. And I did the Kardashian thing for a day and I still got money left. I mean, somebody this week claimed an 878 million jackpot right here in South Carolina. I'm praying they go to church here. Come on. But at some point you got to look down and go, I can't even spend it. And then that's when there's just no happiness. Because you realize accumulating it for this moment, it's not enough. But what if you were to take that same money and you were starting to go, oh, wait a minute, over here is this missions organization and over here they translate the Bible for people groups that don't have the Bible yet. Let me give them some of it. And, and over here is this kid that couldn't go to college if I didn't, I, I'm just going to give them the money for college. And, and over here is this family that wouldn't take vacation if I could, I'm going to give it to them. And then suddenly you're beginning to make a change that will outlive you and you start to feel satisfaction and contentment and pleasure. Because uh, for now, that's, how about, how about pleasure? I mean, God wants us to enjoy life. We tend to take pleasure and use it just for the moment. Friday night, it's been a long, hard week. I just want to escape. I'm going to invite some friends over. We're just going to have a party and, and we're just, we're just going to eat a lot of ice cream. It's church, y'all. 
and we use pleasure for escapism. And there's nothing wrong with having a party and inviting a bunch of people over. But what if you turn that eternal? You know what, Friday night I'm going to have a bunch of people over and I'm just going to make a bunch of friends. I'm going to get to know people because someday one of these friends is going to say, hey, why are you so happy? Let me tell you about Jesus. And you're going to change their life. And you use that Friday night need to just hang out with some people and feel good to build something that could be eternal. You guys, are you getting this? What about your, your career and your accomplishments? And you go, man, if I could just be CEO, if I could just own my own business, if I could just get out of being first grade teacher and become principal, if I could get out of being principal and become superintendent, if, if I could just run for state house, if I could become the governor, if I, could, if, I could, if I could make head coach, if I could, and you keep filling in the blank. Raise your hand if you can name every United States president. Boom, all day long, hadn't got one. You know what that means? That was, that mean, there, were, there was a person who had the accomplishment of all accomplishments. They got the most special house in our country. They got their own private security. They had their own jet and their own limo. And it was a, they were the accomplishment of the accomplishment. You didn't call them by their first name anymore. You called them Mr. President. I mean, they, they were it. And we don't even know who they are. Seriously. We don't even know who they are. We're, we're going to meet maybe some of them in heaven. Maybe. No guarantees on that. Because I've read my history book, just so y'all know. But some of them might be in heaven. And one of them might come to you one day. Hey, when did you live on earth? Well, I live, you know, back so-and-so. I was the president of the United States. Really? I don't remember you. I was in the United States. Small world. We live for the moment. What do you get out of being president right now? You get pride. Unless you live for eternity. And you turn that thing and go, you know what I'm going to do? Because I'm CEO, I'm going to make this the best place to work. I'm going to give my employees time off with pay to go and take care of spiritual matters or families. I'm going to blow their mind. They're going to say, uh, sir, I don't have enough vacation. My mom's really so you, you go take care of your mom. What? Who would do that? Somebody who loves Jesus. You're going to be a general who changes the life of, of your unit. Sorry. I don't know. Brigade, whatever thing. <laughs> Sorry. See, if we could take that position we could say, this is going to be a school where this can happen. You're going to be a teacher who says, in my classroom, this can happen. I'm going to have grace on my kids. They're going to experience something. If we would take this position and take it away from just serving our pride to make us feel happy, and instead we turn it to an eternal purpose, everything changes. See if I can do this. I want to challenge us to end I want you to think about this as I close. I'm going to challenge you to do something. Stop chasing vapors. Because you'll never catch them. <laughs> you'll never catch them. You'll never catch them. Back to the question we asked at the very beginning. It was a real question. What would make you happy? Some of you might have said your marriage, and you say, well, 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 then he just kept going, like my marriage isn't important. And you didn't listen to anything else I had to say. Look, let me tell you this here today. 
I believe God wants you to enjoy your marriage. I believe God wants you to say, my marriage is happy. Some of us, we experience unhappiness because we're not doing things God's way. Or someone else in the process is not doing things God's way. So look, if your marriage isn't happy, then then let's get together. Let's talk about it. Let's get some counseling. Let's pray for your spouse if they're not on board. Let's fast until they do get on board. And if you're both on board, let's recognize you're both going to have to grow and become more like Jesus. And someday you're going to be able to go, my marriage is happy. How about your money? Do, do you think God wants you broke and miserable every day the rest of your life? I don't believe so. There's too much scripture about people having stuff to bless the world because they were godly people. And, and I believe that if we would get a budget and honor God and do things God's way, that you won't always be broke and miserable. And we could just do a list all day from marriage to money to everything else, whatever your answer was. So I'm here to tell you if there was something and there is something and you say, it's just, it's making me miserable, then let's do something about it. If we can change it, let's change it. Some of the unhappiness in our lives is because God's path is over there and we're over here and we say, I don't want to do it your way. I don't want to, I'm not happy in my marriage because I'm not forgiving because my spouse hurt me. But let me tell you something, your spouse has never hurt you as much as you've hurt God. And when we learn to forgive, then maybe we will begin to be a happier person. God can change some of these things. I want you to know some of these things, let's work on them. Let's change them. Let's fix them. But the question today is this, who am I when I don't feel happy? And you know what? That's an incredibly great question because it's a question of identity. And I want you just to think about that for a minute. Here's what I want to leave you with. If you don't like anything else I've said, I want to leave you with, start asking yourself, who am I? You see, if we are Jesus followers, if Jesus is our King, Lord and Savior, whatever words you want to use, then we live for more than now because we have eternity. And we don't let a bad Monday morning derail our identity because we've got a few feelings of discontentment. I'm not telling you if you follow Jesus, you will always feel great. Your tires will never go flat. You will never miss a red light, smash up your car. I'm not telling you that won't happen. What I'm telling you is that it will change who you are because your feelings are not the end all. You see, I need you to hear me today. If you have never made Jesus your king, if you have never declared him to be your Lord and Savior, if you've never exchanged your life for the one he has for you, then you need to know the reality. This is all you get. This is all you get. You don't have eternity in heaven. You need to get as much money as you can so you can feel happy now because you'll never touch the golden streets in heaven. You need to feel what you can feel now because you will never have that. This moment is it for you. But if Jesus is your king, then why do we live like someone who Jesus is not? That's the question. Who am I when I don't feel happy? I need to start asking that question. I need to look in the mirror and go, who am I? Am I a child of the king who has eternity or am I somebody that this moment is all I got so this moment can wreck my world? 
We need to start asking, who am I? Am I somebody who's not going to have tomorrow? Am I somebody who's not going to be forgiven? Am I somebody who doesn't have something greater to look forward to than the bad thing that's going on in my, my life at this moment? I mean, we're going to have days where we don't feel good. I've been to funerals of family members. We've lost a child. We've faced bankruptcy. I've had days where I didn't feel good. But the question was, who am I in the midst of those? Because Jesus, if you're a Jesus follower, he said something we need to remember. He said, look, in this world, (laughs) you'll have troubles. Only a foolish person would follow me and think you will feel satisfied every day. You're not going to feel satisfied. You know, some of those statements he made, happy are those who are persecuted for me. There's going to be a day when people hate your guts because you like me. Someday you're not even going to know why and how just the demonic powers behind it are going to come after you and attack you. And you're just going to have a really bad day. But happy are you because that day is a fraction of your existence. And you don't live for this moment. So when we're getting our world shipwrecked because it's not one of our better feeling days and they will come, we need to go and ask, who am I? Who am I? Am I somebody that has something better to live for? Am I somebody who's a part of a bigger picture? Am I? Or is this it? Because if this is it, I guess I have a right to be throwing a fit right now. But if this is not it, then I'm going to deal with my feelings. I'm going to recognize it's not my best day. But I'm going to recognize Jesus is still on the throne. And I'm still his. And eternity is still in my heart. And it's not going to affect my month and my year and my personality and my life. Who am I? Let's just learn to ask that question. (laughs) Who am I? Am I a child of the King? For those of you that can say you have never made Jesus your King. You have never surrendered your life. And well, you would like to change that. You would like to have more than just right here, right now. I want you to know that Jesus gave his life on the cross for you and he said that anybody who receives this free gift of my death paying your penalty, you get eternal life. So if you've lived frustrated because you know that you're meant for more, but you don't have more because you haven't given an earthly life in exchange for an eternal future, We can change that right now. I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to ask you to come down front. I'm going to lead you in a conversation with him right where we're seated. Would you all join me in praying and say something like this to yourself and to God? Lord Jesus, I thank you that you died for me. And now I want to live for you. I thank you for your love, your mercy, your forgiveness. My simple prayer here today, fill me with your spirit and give me a life of great meaning 
with eternal purpose. Amen. Let's celebrate with those people. Amen. Thank you for joining us for this week's message. If you've made the decision to follow Jesus, congratulations. It's the best decision you'll ever make. If you've been impacted in any way, we'd love to hear about it. Head over to gracelife.church resources where you can share your story and find other tools for following Jesus. We hope you go out and make Jesus famous in your world.